choir. Have you ever entertained the notion that that you might have a destiny to fulfill? My dictionary defines destiny as the inevitable or necessary fate to which a particular person or thing is destined. We think of a destiny, we think of a great achievement or a heroic act. We think of people of destiny. We, we, we're thinking of those whose lives have reshaped history in some way. Leaders of nations, social reformers, war heroes, and the like. Persons of destiny. But what if your destiny were to die? And you knew it. And not just any death, but a cruel death, a humiliating death, a torturous and painful death. Fulfilling a destiny like that doesn't hold much attraction, does it? And yet, that was precisely the destiny of the greatest man of destiny our world has ever known. The Lord Jesus knew it was his destiny, but rather than try to escape it, he embraced it. And we are the ones whose destinies have been changed as a result of that. This morning we're going to look at a short passage in Matthew chapter 20, verses 17 to 19, as the little band of disciples and Jesus are going to Jerusalem. It will be the last trip for Jesus as he is to be arrested and crucified. And he shares that with his disciples. He wants to give them a preview of what's about to happen when they get there. And so we look at that passage this morning. And if you're able to stand, I would invite you to do so as I read God's Word for us. The Bible says, Now as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem... He took the twelve disciples aside and said to them, We're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn Him to death and will turn Him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, He will be raised to life. Thank you. Please be seated. I've always been intrigued and fascinated by people who seem to know that they were going to die a premature or unnatural death because of some cause in which they were involved. Of course, we all know we're going to die someday, but most of us, if we're honest, we live our lives as if that were a distant reality We try to put it as far in the back of our minds as we can, out of sight, out of mind sort of thing. We we live as if we're going to live forever. Even those who are among the elderly, it's a rare individual who lives life under a cultivated awareness of the inevitability of his or her own physical death. But the fact of the matter is we're all terminal eventually, It's just that unless our death is imminent, we like to keep those thoughts far in the back of our minds. 
But there are sometimes amazing people who, though they may be healthy and in the prime of their lives, recognize and acknowledge that death is lurking, that death may soon be calling for them. I recall how amazed I was when I first saw a replay of an interview that Mike Wallace conducted with Malcolm X back in 1964. If you remember the story, he had broken his ties with the Nation of Islam, Malcolm X had, the black Muslims as they came to be known, when he discovered that the leader of the organization, Elijah Muhammad, was fathering illegitimate children with a number of his secretaries. And uh, that was something that he was able to confirm, and so he broke ties with them. In, in essence, he was pushed out from them for exposing this hypocrisy. And when uh, Mike Wallace interviewed him, he asked him if he was afraid of what might happen to him for exposing that kind of hypocrisy. And Malcolm X responded by saying, oh, yes, I probably am a dead man already. Eight months later, on February 21st, 1965, Malcolm X was assassinated while speaking in Harlem, shot to death at the age of 39. Just as he had begun to recognize that God was bigger than what he had been taught, his life was taken from him. Even more famous is the video footage of Martin Luther King Jr. in the final sentences of his final public address the night before his own assassination. He was ruminating on a desire to live a long life, but also the improbability of that actually happening for him. The next day, as you know, he was murdered in Memphis. What must it be like to know that death is your destiny? Well, our Lord Jesus knows at least twice already in the Gospel of Matthew Jesus had announced to His disciples that He was going to die in chapter 16 in chapter 17. But here, for the first time, He explicitly mentions His betrayal, His mocking, flogging, and crucifixion. He gives them more details. He lays it out more explicitly for the disciples here. He shares with His disciples the horrors of His death the humiliation and the agony that he would have to endure as part of his destiny. Notice the verbs in the text that describe what awaits Jesus in Jerusalem. He will be betrayed, condemned, handed over, mocked. In one of the other Gospels it says he will be spat upon as a part of that mocking. He will be flogged or scourged and ultimately crucified. So his destiny isn't just to die, it's to die suffering, to suffer physically and emotionally as a part of what his destiny encompassed. And he shares this with the disciples, but they don't get it. As is so often the case in the New Testament, maybe you've noticed, the disciples are rather dense. They don't catch on. They don't understand what Jesus is trying to tell them. And they miss it here. They miss it by a country mile. 
In fact, they could not be more farther away from what Jesus was trying to instill in them, what He was trying to stir up in them. Because immediately after Jesus predicts His passion, they get caught up in their own ambitions for greatness in the kingdom that He had been proclaiming. In the very next verses, the mother of James and John come to Jesus and ask for special favors. She says, can you give my sons uh, privileged positions in your kingdom when your kingdom comes? And when the other ten heard about it, they were indignant, the Bible says, maybe because they didn't think of that themselves. Well, Jesus saw fit to give them a little mini lecture there about the rulers of the Gentiles are the ones who lord it over others. They're high officials. They're the ones who they consider great and exercise authority, but not so with you. Instead, he said, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. To give his life as a ransom for many. This was Jesus' destiny. And he's trying to show it to them. Don't you imagine that their inability to catch on only intensified his distress, his agony, his disappointment perhaps. To know that the dozen guys he had invested so much time and energy in couldn't understand what he was going to be going through. That he wouldn't be even able to count on them when the time came. That one of them, in fact, would even betray him. That had to hurt. What a destiny Jesus had. Betrayal, pain, humiliation, abandonment, death. He predicted it before he ever got to Jerusalem because it had been his destiny since before he was born. How so? How did that become a reality? Remember the definition of destiny? The inevitable or necessary fate to which a particular person or thing is destined. Christ's destiny became necessary In the Garden of Eden, when the first representatives of the human race broke the commandment of God, transgressed God's instruction, fell from their position of innocence, if you will. It was that betrayal that presented God with the dilemma of all dilemmas. How could He rescue His beloved creation from the required penalty that justice demanded? There's a popular story from English literature that may, to some degree, illustrate the dilemma that God was facing. It's the story of King Arthur and his queen, Guinevere, and his knight, Sir Lancelot. It's told in T.H. White's novel, The Once and Future King, which is better known as the basis for the, the Broadway musical and the movie known as Camelot. In fact, I read that they're planning a revival of Camelot on Broadway sometime later this year. But in the book, 
King Arthur's illegitimate son, Mordred, exposes an adulterous affair between Guinevere and Lancelot in a day when adultery was punishable by death. This would force Arthur to confront the terrible dilemma of bringing justice to bear on those he loves the most, his wife and his best friend. Before the affair was revealed, King Arthur had explained the importance of justice to Guinevere and to Lancelot both. He said, if I don't stand for law, I won't have law among my people. You see, Lance, I have to be absolutely just. Far from being willing to execute his enemies, a real king must be willing to execute his friends. Little did he know those words would come back to haunt him. The dilemma of the king's justice pitted against the king's love is captured in the musical when Mordred says to Arthur, What a magnificent dilemma! Let her die and your life is over. Let her live and your life's a fraud. Which will it be, Arthur? Do you kill the queen or kill the law? In a very real sense, this was God's dilemma. When humanity transgressed His law, broke His commandment, when the wages of sin is death, inevitable, irrevocable, that's what justice demands. And God is just. God loves us. He created us. He loves you more than you will ever comprehend. He cherishes you. God formed us in His own image from the dust of the earth and then He breathed into us the breath of life. You can't get any more intimate or any more personal or any more caring than that. But our sin demands justice. Just as we discussed last Sunday. Sin demands justice. We read about the Israelites out there in the desert complaining about Moses, their leader, complaining even about God for not meeting their expectations. This isn't how it's supposed to be, God, out here in the desert. Moses, you failed us. Expectations, by the way, are just premeditated resentments. Temper your expectations and you will not be disappointed and not sin in the sense of resenting and complaining. That's exactly the sin of the Israelites out there in the desert. And God had to punish it. His justice demanded it. And so He sent that plague of snakes among them. But in the midst of that, He raised up a picture of the crucified Christ in that bronze serpent on that pole that the people could look to and find forgiveness and live if they would humble themselves enough to do it. Our sin demands justice. It demands blood. Because as the Bible says in Hebrews, without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sins. And so God solved His dilemma through the cross of Jesus Christ. The Bible says in that passage we read last week, we are justified freely by God's grace through the redemption that came through Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice 
so as to be just and the one who justified those who have faith in Jesus. Romans 3, 24 to 26. In order for God to maintain His justice, He had to exact a punishment, a judgment on our sin. But in order to save us from that penalty, from that judgment, He had to take it upon Himself in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus said that He had come to give His life as a ransom for many, for us. That's how God can be both just, still, and the justifier. His life is not a fraud because He spares us. He is just because He inflicts the judgment. He, he brings the punishment, but He takes it on Himself in His Son because of His love for us. God demonstrates His love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so it says in 2 Corinthians 5, God made Him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. It was our sin that made Jesus' death on the cross His inevitable and necessary fate. His destiny, if you will. But it was a destiny He chose to fulfill in spite of the pain, in spite of the suffering, in spite of the insults, in spite of the the crucifixion itself. Jesus chose to endure it, to fulfill His destiny because of His love for us, because He wanted to save us. And so, to quote from Isaiah, Jesus set His face like flint toward Jerusalem so that He might fulfill His destiny and purchase our redemption. And purchase your redemption. Why did Jesus have to go so far? Why was this judgment so excruciating? It's because our sin is very serious. Judgment is serious because sin is serious. And we tend to have forgotten that in our world. We sin so easily, so blithely. Have you seen the word sin in a newspaper story anytime lately? And yet we see stories all about us of sins taking place. Nashville, the most egregious example of this last week. Did you see the word sin in there anywhere? No, we try to blame it on something else. You don't see sin in the news reports on television. The word sin has fallen out of favor. And yet sin is extremely serious. We've seen that. Last week, the sin of the grumbling and the complaining, God judged our sins of grumbling and complaining and disregarding God's will for our lives of 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 denying and rationalizing our own sin. God judges. Because it's so serious, God judged it by blood, the blood of His Son Jesus Christ on the cross. If you can look at Jesus Christ in your mind's eye, hanging on that cross, bleeding His life away, and continue to sin without thought, without imagination, without thinking, then God help you. Jesus was destined to die on the cross because of the seriousness 
of our sins. Jesus told his disciples that he would be betrayed, condemned, handed over, mocked, flogged, and crucified. Those are the verbs in that verse. But the last verb in that passage is not crucified, is it? The last verb in that passage is raised. Jesus said, on the third day, he will be raised to life. So just stay tuned, my friends. Just hang in with us a little bit longer. As they say, it may be Friday, but Sunday's coming. And we know what that Sunday holds. In the power of God, He raised Jesus to life again in demonstration that His sacrifice is sufficient for our sins. That's why we celebrate Easter. That's why we celebrate the resurrection. We see this Sunday and this Holy Week on, on Good Friday and the crucifixion and the agony and the pain that Jesus endured. We see the seriousness of our sin. And help us, God, to repent of it and turn away from it and acknowledge it and throw it aside. And look instead to Christ, to His cross. Jesus lifted up so that we might be drawn to Him and be saved. Stay tuned, friends. The story isn't over yet. Let's pray.